this recording. Awesome. Hi, guys. Um, that was awesome, right? Awesome. Yes. We're going to hear from her again in just a minute. We're going to give her time to breathe since she just got done talking for an hour. But I'm going to introduce myself first. So I'm Kirsty Porter. Yes, um, I go to North River. I was going to say Kennesaw, but I don't go to Kennesaw. I graduated from Kennesaw with a nursing degree. So I was a full-time nurse for the first two years after I graduated, and then last May I went part-time, and I do part-time ministry now and part-time nursing. So I work like one day a week, sometimes two, and then I do ministry also. So my life is very full. Um, I don't know why you guys are here, but I'd love to hear maybe two or three people, like why did you choose this class? It'll kind of help me even just get my heart behind it. Esther. Um, I chose this class because um, the past year has been very very hard for me and I got very disconnected with God and I lost my sensitivity to the spirit because I, I said I wanted to mourn, I wanted to be sad, I didn't want to be happy. So I chose this guy because um, he he was working in my life even when I wasn't working with him. So I, I decided like, okay, let me come, repent again and get God to really and let, let him take control of my life. Let me give, surrender everything to him. Sorry, yeah. That's because grace is so like how do you even grasp grace you know what I mean like it's like what is we say it all the time and it's like what is grace okay, what does that actually mean you know what I mean like it can just feel really confusing and so I'm going to get a little bit biblical here I think kind of with repentance we think that repentance is like 
oh, sorry, but you keep doing it, right? Like the world teaches a very different type of repentance than actual biblical repentance. And so it's the same with grace that I learned, actually. So the Greek word for grace is charis. It's C-H-A-R-I-S. Would definitely recommend studying it out. Um, I think I've always thought grace is like something that I get, but it's actually a characteristic of God. And so the word um, charis for the Greeks, what it meant, it could have meant favor, Loving kindness or goodwill. And so, again, all three of those are like things that describe God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, It's also used in Proverbs, and it was used as like a term for beauty or like elegance. So in Proverbs, it was used a little bit differently. In the Old Testament, the word grace isn't actually used. Instead, it was favor. And so it was people, someone found favor in someone else's eyes, whether it was with God or with another person. So even if you think about that, and when I learned about the Old Testament, I was like, oh, people, like, it was merited favor. Like, they did something that made that person have favor on them. And sometimes it wasn't, like, because they wanted to please the person. It was out of, they did something good just naturally, and so they earned favor. But in the New Testament, we start seeing the word grace. So I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, so is it merited? Is it unmerited? Is it elegance? Like, what is it? And so I think it really does depend on the context, which, again, is so important for us to know the context of what we're reading is it a verb? Is it a not? Like, it gets really... And I was like, you know what? I just think we're not actually made to understand it. At the end of the day, I don't think we're supposed to fully understand grace. That's the beauty of it. Is it, it means so many different things, and it's going to touch you in so many different ways. But I do think we need to have a biblical... Try to fight for the understanding of, like, okay, how does this really apply to my life? Does yeah. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked about it being a characteristic of God. It's nothing that we can actually earn. Um, and I don't really think we can grasp it. So let's turn to 1 Peter 2. Maybe our first scripture. This is kind of like, if we can't get this down, then nothing else I say is going to really matter. Um, So 1 Peter 2. We're going to read 9 and 10. Just kind of look up once you're there. I'm going to go ahead. So verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I wanted to read this because I I think that, at least for me, I thought grace was mercy. But they're actually two different things. Mercy is God's compassion and God's forgiveness. Mercy, like, I guess kind of, I don't really know even how to say it, leads to grace. But they do go hand in hand, but they're different. So I think what I love about this verse is just the beautiful language that it uses. Like, we have to believe that we are a chosen people. That you are a royal priesthood. Like, you are a princess to God. You are royal to him. You mean something. Um, you're a special possession. I love that. You guys are special. And again, if you can't believe that, if you can't really fight to believe that, then you're not going to understand it. You're really not going to get the rest of it. Um, so that's the first thing. And then I love verse 10. It says, once you were not a people and 
but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, once you had not received forgiveness, you had not received compassion, but now you have. So again, we have to believe that. We have to constantly remind ourselves that we have received forgiveness. Do you live like you've received forgiveness? And do you believe that? Like, honestly, you have to fight to believe that because it's hard. It's hard when we're sinners and we're not perfect to believe that you can actually keep moving forward. Um, So my next scripture is Romans 5. So we can flip there. We're going to do a little bit of different hopping around. Not actually in Ephesians. I was going to share Ephesians 2, but Christina covered it really well in the first class. So, what did you say? Ephesians 5? Someone asked me. Sorry. It's Romans 5. Romans 5. Sorry. Um, we're going to just read... What? Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. I'm actually going to read through chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to start. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into life, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Um, so I love, the, I love the first part, because he's like, he sits there and says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Like, we needed Jesus, because we're not perfect. And so God's grace is enough for us, no matter how much sin you have. It is always there. It's always covering your sin. It really is. And I think, that, I think that the world gets that really well. Like the world teaches, just do whatever. God's grace is going to cover it, right? Keep sinning. God's grace, God's grace. But then he goes on and he says, so what shall we say? Should we go on sinning? No. Like that's not what we're supposed to do. So you're kind of like, okay, what, what am I supposed to do here, right? It's kind of confusing. Um, but I think it's, it's that heart. It's that respond to grace, right? It's that respond to Jesus is why we have grace. And we have Jesus, and so therefore we have grace. And that grace compels us to live a life worthy of Jesus' calling. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm talking kind of fast. But, um, yeah, sorry. Um... Grace has absolutely nothing to do with you. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but again, like I said, it's a characteristic of God. So you can work really hard for grace, but you don't have to. You are called to respond to grace. And we'll read another scripture, and I'll talk about that specifically there. But I think the question that I wanted to ask is, do you guys believe that God's grace is enough to cover your sin? Mm-hmm. Like, really? And not your sin, just your past, right? Not your sin of just this moment, but the things that are going to happen in the future, because you're never going to be perfect. That's what I think the point of the scripture is, is he's like, yeah, that's why we have Jesus, because his grace is bigger than your sin, and you needed grace. Like, God, God loves you. He favors you. He chose you, right? That's what that word grace means, again. So I'm going to try to plug and chuck it in a little bit, um, but we have to try to not sin. That's our response to Jesus. Um, like I said, we'll read another scripture. And I love even the imagery here that he talks about baptism. Like, don't you guys remember your baptism? 
Don't you remember? You died. You died to that old life, and you committed to really living under God's grace. Um, Let's look in verse 11 here in chapter 6. It says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. I love how it starts with grace and it ends with grace, right? Like, it's all about grace. It's all about how much God loves you. It's all about his goodwill towards you. You've chosen him. You chose God. You chose to want to love him, to be in this relationship with him. So he favors you. Just like he favored, um, favored Jesus. This same word, charis, is used in Luke 2 where it says that God grew, or Jesus grew in favor in God's eyes. And so Jesus wasn't like working for God's favor. He, he chose God and was living for God, and therefore God favored him. Amen. So favor is free. God's goodwill is free. But it should call us to something, right? It should call us to live a certain way of life. Um, Let me go back to my notes. Do you offer yourself to God as a living instrument? And do you believe that you've gone from death to life? And if you don't know if you're offering yourself as an instrument for righteousness, I would think about that later. What does that mean? What does it mean to offer yourself as a slave to righteousness, not as a slave to sin? Um, I think even just meditating on you were set free from sin. And I know it can be really frustrating when you feel so stuck. You really feel stuck. I have several things in my life that I feel really stuck in. I think one of the biggest ones is my marriage. I feel like I'm just like my mom. And I don't want to be like my mom. And I was crying yesterday because I'm like, why am I like my mom? I hate that I'm like her. Like, there's just things that I, I want to be different, right? I don't want to complain all the time. I don't want to be mad at the petty stuff. And I feel like I'm fighting this, like, never-ending, never-winning battle. Yeah. Um, but I have to believe that I'm under grace. I have to believe that I am. God, is, God loves me, and he is showing me favor and compassion as long as I'm trying. And I'm yeah. still trying, so I'm still under grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the world teaches that grace is a blank check. And it's like a never-ending blank check. Like, here, just, okay, well, you, you feel good about doing X, Y, or Z. Just, you say sorry. Okay, here's another check. And I think when I thought about that, um, I just wanted to share personally, but my, my parents, when I was in high school, my dad was, like, the really cool He drove me to parties. He drove me to parties. He took me to the airport to fly to be alone with my boyfriend for a weekend. He just didn't really care, and I loved him. I thought he was so cool. I loved that he let me do whatever I wanted to do. Then there was my mom, who was like, you need to break up with him. I was 14 dating an 18-year-old, and I'm like, no, I love him, you know? And she's like, you need to break up with him. What? It's, it's 11 o'clock, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm a senior. I can do whatever I want. I'm about to graduate. And it wasn't until I became a Christian that I really realized they both loved me, but my mom really was fighting for me. Like, my mom really, she wanted me to respond to her love. She wanted to make me better in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't want me to continue on the path that she knew wasn't going to get me anywhere. Sure, it's fun right now, but at the end of the day, it doesn't get you anywhere. And my dad just wanted me to, like, he loved me, but I, I, it's just different. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? And so I think God's love is a lot like my mom's, like, he loves us and he wants us to live a better life. He doesn't want to just be like, here, just have 
on right now. Like, do whatever you want. Come back later. That, that's not what he wants because he sees the destruction in that lifestyle. And it really is destructive. It really is. Um, so, yeah, I think that grace in the world is watered down. Um, and I feel really sad for those people because when grace is watered down, you miss the fullness of Jesus. Um, I'm trying to think how I say that. Um, thanks. Yeah, I think it's just used as a scapegoat. And because God's grace is so good, if you're not responding to it and you're still living in your sin, then you're literally missing it. Like, your life isn't any better, actually. It's really not. Um, So, yeah, I think that is all I have for that scripture. Um, The next one we're going to turn to is 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. You want to read it? Go ahead. Just be loud. I'll read it. Fifteen verses nine okay. and ten. Um, and okay. Nine. For, oh, okay. For I, for I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I per- persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yes, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Perfect. So this is Paul talking. Some of you guys don't know the context of 1 Corinthians. And we know Paul is like one of the greatest apostles. (laughs) He wrote so much of the New Testament. And he literally says here, I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. And I was like... Wow. Okay. Guys, Paul was really bad. (laughs) He was really bad. bad. Saul was bad. You're right. He literally (laughs) murdered people. And I think when I was thinking about that today, I'm like, I can't imagine that he didn't think about that every single day. Right. That someone didn't remind him every day. And if someone did it, I'm sure Satan did. Every time he fell short. See? Told you you couldn't do it. Told you. You were a murderer. You just shouldn't have even done it. But what, what compelled him? What does he say compelled him? God's, by God's grace, I am what I am. All of it. All the sin. All the messiness. God is big enough for your mess. He is. He was big enough for Paul. He chose Paul. He favored him. I don't know why. I don't know how. But he favored him. He called him out of darkness into light. And that's what drove Paul. Was that reminder of God's goodness. God's loving kindness. Right? Those words. That favor. So it's, it's the characteristic of God that propelled him. Not, I'm going to do all this stuff so I can earn the grace. It, that's backwards. You do this stuff because of God's grace. Um, let me get to my page where I get in there. I got ahead of myself. Um, yeah. Grace should help us get unstuck. Grace is what helped him get unstuck every single day. Like, genuinely, if you watched people get stoned and you took people to jail and you separated families, how would that not impact you for the rest of your life? Think about some of the things you guys have been through. Some of the hardship. You have to move on. You can remember it, but it's God's grace that is what's going to help you move on. You have to let go of those things. Um, And then, I guess, on the flip side, when do you take advantage of God's grace? When do you misuse the grace? 
technically really know what that would look like, but when I think some of it can be when we think we're earning it. Yeah. I think that can be part of the misuse. I think it can also be if you're just willy-nilly doing whatever you want, but thinking God's going to continue to just flower and flourish and love. And he will. He, he will still love. God's not going to change, but you change, not God. And that, that, that does mean something. Um, I'm just going to refer it for time's sake. But um, Hebrews 10, 26 says if we deliberately keep on sinning after you've received the knowledge of truth, um, no sacrifice for sins is left. And so I think that that's a great scripture of like, okay, on the flip side, so, so what do we do? Like, obviously we're not perfect. We're not going to be able to live perfectly. But it's that deliberate sin that we should really be fighting against. Like, and sometimes in the moment, it's hard to not get angry. Or it's hard to not let your emotions take over and you know that you just blew it, right? But, like, there are things that we should just absolutely be able to say no to. Do not put yourself in a situation with a boy that you should not put yourself in a situation in. You should absolutely be able to say no. There's things that, like, just no, never compromising. I think it's more of the hard stuff that God knows that he can cover. Like, you can't, you, you can try, like I said, I can try to change my heart all day long, but it's, it's really hard. It's hard to really try and change. I think a perfect example, again, is my marriage. I think marriage is a gift, right? And this grace of God, this characteristic of God is a gift for all of us. And I chose to get married, but if I didn't treat it like it meant anything, like, if I, I was like, okay, I got this gift, but now I don't have to really keep the gift. Like, I can do whatever I want. That's not marriage. That's not how it really works. And so, um, does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Um, I know what I said yes to when I got married. And you guys know what you said yes to when you said Jesus is Lord. Right? And so we can't go back. We can't back out. We, we know that we were going to mess up. We know that we're not going to be perfect. But you committed to keep trying. You committed to moving forward with him. Um, and honestly, it's so much of... Being a disciple is going to help you in every area of your life. There's moments where I'm like, what's going on? Me and Cody can't get along. We're, I'm making my marriage sound awful. It's really not. It's just petty stuff. Like, I'm just petty. And, and what I realize is I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have to deny myself. I have to deny myself all the time. I have to deny myself with my family. I have to deny myself with my husband. I have to deny myself. With my I have to deny myself. I live a life of self-denial. Like, ugh. And, and I'm like, this is it, though. This is the way that God, like, this is how it's all going to work so beautifully, is if we all deny ourselves and try to live for God. Um, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, God's sacrifice, which is Jesus, is what should compel us to want to not deliberately continue to sin. There is a response. So go read back over these scriptures. I know I'm going pretty fast. Um, but God expects us to not let sin be our master anymore. He really doesn't. Grace is our master. Romans yeah. said, you are now, you're not under the law, you're under grace. You are under grace. Like, I think about being, like, under a blanket. Like, you're literally covered. You're hidden in Jesus. But there's a response. And Christina's going to talk about that. I just keep wanting to say it because I think the world, I want you guys to understand grace and how big it is, but I also want you guys to see how serious it is to respond to grace. Yeah. You really have to. It's not a one-way street. It really is a two-way street. They go hand in hand. Um, and like I shared, God, God's arm is, like, always reaching down. Like, for me, that's grace. He, he's always looking at you, loving you, favoring you, wanting goodwill for you. But you have to reach back. And God's arm doesn't ever, like, oh, not, not now because you're doing whatever you want. No, no, no. His arm is always there. It's always down. But you have to respond. Yeah. Um, 
Yep. And then the last scripture we're going to go to is Titus 2. Does all this make sense? Yeah. Before I read Titus 2, um, has anybody read Redeeming Love? Yes. Oh my gosh. You're reading it right now. Redeeming Love? I made Kayla read it. So, this book, you guys, is by Francine Rivers. Rivers. Um, so I just picked it up to light read. Um, hey, Haley, can you shut those doors again? So the book is like based on the book Hosea in the Bible, and it's this prostitute, and she like this guy just like falls in love with her and tries to rescue her, and basically he like saves her out of the situation, and but she doesn't really want it. And what she keeps saying is, like, I'm not good enough. Like, why do you want me? I don't understand your love. Like, you don't even know me. Why are you loving me? I'm a prostitute. Like, she just can't fathom God's love. And so I'm going to give a little bit away. But at one point, she leaves. And when he goes back to get her, she goes. She went back to a brothel. He goes back to get her, and he rescues her and, like, beats up a guy. And, and she gets back, and she's like, I literally don't get it. Like, I have nothing to offer you. I'm disgusting. I'm a prostitute. You're a virgin. You love God. Like, all these things. And and he's just like, I just love you. Like, I I just love you. There's nothing that you can do. And I was bawling in that moment because I was like, it's God. Like, he just loves us. And he really does. And I think that, that, honestly, that moment in the book is what made me want to do this lesson. Because I want you guys to know how much you're loved by God. Yeah. You really can't earn it. And it doesn't make sense. And Satan makes you feel like it doesn't make sense. So just don't do it. Again, Paul fought through all of those thoughts. You have to, you have to fight through that stuff. Um, so let's, let's close out here before Christina comes up. We're going to read Titus 2. Come on. Um, Verses 11 through 14. And I'll read that. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us to him from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I think, probably one of the first scriptures I ever memorized when I became a Christian because I was, like, so indignant when I became a Christian that I was, like, so, like, oh, my gosh, I was doing it so wrong. Everybody needs to know that they're doing it wrong. Like, God's grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness not to keep living whatever life you want to like yeah because a little bit about me i mean i was just a typical religious girl i was going to a big church i'd go to worship on sunday i didn't pray ever outside of church never read my bible but i'd go in and feel super emotionally connected and my life did not match up at all i mean sometimes like i said my dad was picking me up from a party sunday morning that i was at saturday night and i'd go to church And so I think our world just doesn't get it. And so one of the challenges I want to leave you guys with is we need to be voices for God's true grace. We really do. Because people are enslaved to sin, but they think that they're under grace. And they're not. God's favoring. He he does want them. So it's not like he's withholding from them, but they're not not coming on the other end. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but I think we really need to grasp it. Um, So I really want to challenge you guys to continue to study this out. Go through and read all the different verses that talk about God's favor and God's kindness. And when you're reading in the New Testament, 
try to implement some of these, not implement, um, substitute these words in for the word grace and see which one makes the most sense. Because I listened to a podcast and he did it and I was like, oh my gosh, that, I don't know, I just was like mind blown um, that it's just different than what I imagined grace was. And like, it still makes sense. Like, I'm like, yeah, I kind of thought this, but it's, it's still different. I think thinking about it being a characteristic of God is really different for me. That it's not a thing that he extends to me that comes on me. It's like him that is that way. And therefore I get it because I love him. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's kind of this weird thing. Um, Let me see what I wrote down here. Oh, I love. It says that he offers grace to all people. All of us get offered grace. But do you accept it? It's free. The gift is free. But even that Hebrews 10 scripture that says, if you deliberately keep on sinning, no sacrifice for sins is left. Only yeah. like an awful, I forget what it says, something like really specific, like an awful um, ending or something like that. I don't know. Go read it. But um, yeah, I think that we have to uphold the other side of the bargain. We have to accept the grace that is free, but it's not free to keep. It's not just forever. You just, like, it is free to keep. It's not free... Like, you can lose the grace. Like, you can come out of being under God's grace. And not because God changes, but because you change. Not because God doesn't respond, but you don't respond. He gave us Jesus Christ. Even in that Ephesians 2 scripture, it says, um, I forget where it was exactly, but it was like, because of his incomparable riches and mercy, he he had the kindness that gave us Jesus Christ. Something along the lines of that. And so it's like, his incomparable riches, his incomparable rich amount of grace is what led to the kindness of Jesus Christ. So it like, it's just this, again, I'm like, it's a beautiful picture and I only half understand it. And I just really don't think that we're ever fully going to be able to understand it. Um, but God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Yeah. It calls us to live self-controlled, upright lives. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in understanding that there's only so much you can do? God's still going to have to cover a lot. Like, there's only so much you can do, but you still do have to really try. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I would just love to challenge you guys to go back through, meditate on God's kindness. Meditate on his grace being he's chosen you. You have favor in the eyes of God. Just like Jesus had favor in the eyes of God. You, he has goodwill. He has compassion. He has forgiveness. He has love. Those mercy and grace go hand in hand. You guys really have to fight to memorize scripture on those. Like, go do deeper Bible study. See what the word really means. And, and again, I think it's important that we know what it really means. Just like it's important to know what repentance really means. Because yeah. you can't move forward not really understanding grace. And I've, I just have, like, now learned that. I'm like, oh, I think I've been using this term just using it. But I don't know if I've known the power of what it actually meant. Yeah. Um, let's see if I have any other points. I think that was it for me. So I'm going to let Christina come on up. Okay, I got that scratch in my throat right as she was ending. I was like, oh, man. All right. Thank you, Kirsty, for all of those pieces. Guys, I think Grace, she's so right. It's something that we really don't end up understanding. And then it doesn't have the same power that God intends for it to have in our life. But she, we wanted to split up this class in a way that you guys can understand more about Grace and how amazing it is. 
and then get some practicals of what do you do with this kind of grace? Like how do we actually continue to repent? And I think that's one of my favorite things about grace is that God allows us and empowers us to be able to continue to repent in our life, right? Because changing on our own is really difficult, right? Like none of us are magically awesome at repenting. And I think often we end up feeling like this scripture in Ephesians 4. That's where we're going to start. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. And I'm so grateful when I read this scripture that I think, thank you for God's grace. (laughs) It's like powerful enough to change us, that he has favor on us even when we're like this. But Ephesians 4, starting in verse 14... Since then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I think this is an incredible thought that that God doesn't let us just stay these infants that are blown back and forth and tossed by the wind and the waves but that's often how we feel when we're just trying to do things without God's grace right just like I am all over the place and I tried to repent of this thing and it like didn't work or I tried to repent of this thing and it worked for a little while but then it didn't last forever and this idea of continual repentance is really inspiring to me and it's something I talk about and study out a lot because I think so many disciples especially in your college years get frustrated because you study out stuff when you're studying the Bible and maybe make some big sacrifices and then you're blown away when it comes back later we're like we read one really good book and we think this has changed my life and it has but then you get discouraged when you're struggling with the same thing six months after that right And I think this idea of continual repentance can actually be more discouraging than it is encouraging if we don't know how to do it. And I love that Kirstie ended off with this idea of like the the fact that we can use God's grace to compel us to be able to repent, right? To help us to be able to do these things, to live a godly life, that it teaches you to say no to ungodliness. And what's cool is that God's word and his grace and his word does teach us to say no to ungodliness. That it doesn't just tell us to say no, right? It teaches us to say no. And so we're going to talk through some of my favorite scriptures when it comes to learning how to repent on a continual basis, right? Not just one time, but a repentance that's going to last for a lifetime. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 10. And this scripture, it's helped me so much, guys. Because it reminds me that I'm not doing this without the grace of God, right? So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I think one of the really cool things is that God's grace is one of the weapons that we fight with. But the world doesn't fight with that one, right? They have God's love, but they don't necessarily have God's grace. They don't have his favor. They haven't been changed by his grace. 
And I think what gets tricky is when we're trying to repent of something in our lives and we're trying to change, oftentimes we go about it the way the world does. And then we're surprised that we get the same results that the world does, right? But we have to realize we don't wage war as the world does, right? We fight with different weapons and they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And part of what can be so discouraging about needing continual repentance is that it shows the strongholds in our life, right? It shows those sins that you just can't seem to get over. Those lies that you can't get out of your head, the thoughts that just seem to take over. And I love that this scripture ends with this idea that we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And some people feel like, yeah, take captive every thought. And other people are like, I have a thousand thoughts. Like, what are you telling me? I have to take captive every thought? Like, that's incredibly difficult. But I want to teach you guys some things today about that idea, about taking captive every thought. So we're going to look in Romans 12, verse 2. This scripture goes perfectly with this idea of we don't do it the way the world does. We do it with God's grace, and we change the way we think. So Romans 12, verse 2, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I love that this says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. You know what the pattern of the world is? Even when someone decides, I don't want to be this bad, sinful person anymore, they like try to get better, and then they fall back into it. They try to stop smoking, and then they fall back in. They break up with the bad guy to just date another lousy guy. Right? Like, there's a pattern of the world that we cannot conform to as true Christians. But the way that you do that, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the incredible thing that that I feel from like a science part of God's grace, right? So I'm a biochemistry major. I do ministry now, but I love studying out science things that like prove how awesome God is. And I think this idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, there is a personal effort in that, right? Like you do need to be aware to take captive every thought. The Bible is this mix of God does awesome things and it causes you to do awesome things too. But what's amazing is God's calling you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that he's already done. And if you choose to use it that way on a daily basis, you get continual repentance that will blow your mind. So I want to tell you guys about this thing called neuroplasticity. So the idea for a long time is that your brain is hardwired. That once you learn something, you can't unlearn it, you can't change it, right? That whole idea of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that the science world thought about your brain for a long time. But it turns out it's not true. That your brain is actually what they call plastic. And that just means moldable, able to be changed. And here's the cool thing. Is that God renews your mind on a regular basis. Physically, like the structure of your brain, he's constantly renewing. So in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, it talks about like the amazing love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And it says they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And God's grace shows that he's faithful to us. And we get new mercies 
new beginnings every morning because he's faithful. But here's the cool thing. You may think, I get new, new mercies, yeah, 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 whatever. But actually, when you first wake up in the morning, this is important. You first open your eyes, or you know, like sometimes you don't open your eyes yet, but you're like, I'm awake. Right? <laughs> Most of our first thoughts are awful. Right? Like, I hate my life right now. Why do I have to be awake? I'm so not a morning person. And I'm sickest in the morning. So I'm like, hard to have really positive thoughts in the morning. But what's amazing is overnight, your brain has been sorting through tons of things, but you've also developed new neurons. And you get the choice, first thing in the morning, how you're going to use those brand new neurons, how you're going to program them to be a part of the way that your brain works. So if you use your neurons first thing in the morning to think my life sucks and to complain, guess what your brain is going to become full of? Your life sucks and you complain all the time. But if you use those new mercies, those new neurons every morning to decide, I'm so grateful for this new life. I'm so grateful for this new opportunity. God's going to do amazing things today. My life is going to be awesome because of God. I'm so grateful for his grace. All of a sudden, that becomes what your brain is full of. And the cool thing is, is you have these new ones in the morning. And then you also have the ability to change the neurons that you already have in your brain. There's like physical scientific proof that you can do this. But one of the things is, is if you study out the power of habit or like the way habits work or pathways in your brain is that you kind of go on this, your thought process, right? We're trying to talk about like be transformed, then remove your mind, take captive every thought. If you go on the same thought process all the time, it creates a pathway in your brain. And the more you use it, the more it's strengthened. Right? So if you're like, I'm such a loser. I'm so insecure. I'm never going to be good at this. Guess what gets strengthened in your head all the time? So then when you're not even thinking about it, right? You're like, I was having a great day. And all of a sudden, I'm such a loser. I'll never be good at this. There's nothing that's ever going to go right in my life. It comes in because you've strengthened the pathway in your brain because you use it all the time. So in order to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, God's doing the renewing. You need to be transformed, so you take captive every thought. And when you feel that temptation, you go, no, God loves me. He is powerful. He makes me great. He thinks I'm awesome. But here's what happens. I find it, I teach this a lot for years to women. And I have women who come up to me and they're like, Christina, I did that for like a couple days and it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. Is <laughs> you only did it for a couple days and it didn't work. Because what happens is if you start a new path and when you first start it, it's really weak. It's really thin. It's not going to stay unless you use it all the time. And so if you try it a few times and then you give up, guess exactly where your brain's used to going to, right? This pathway is really thick and negative, and this pathway is really thin, but it's positive. And if you choose to start strengthening the positive one, and you always take half of that thought and you make it obedient to Christ, not only does the positive pathway strengthen, the negative one weakens. So here's what's cool about continual repentance and God's grace in that is if you try to strengthen that pathway, God helps you out because he'll lessen the other pathway. He'll weaken it so that it doesn't come back as often. But you have to stick with it. So I want to give you guys two tips to sticking with continual repentance. The first one is you have to have the right motivation. And this is like a a simpler tip and idea. But it's the fact that 
When we talk about repentance, probably many of you guys have heard repentance, the Greek word for it is metanoia. It means change of mind. And it's this idea that we have to first change our minds in order to change our actions. Right? And when we think about Ephesians 4, I read this earlier. But it talks about you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this idea to be made new in the attitude of your minds is repentance, right? It's this idea of changing your mind. But we can only do that when we figure out God's attitude. And I think what gets tricky when we start to try to change something is we do it with the wrong motivation. Right? Sometimes you're like, I'm going to repent so I can become a leader. Or I'm going to repent because my friend's mad at me right now. Or I'm going to repent because it looks bad when I do this. But we go from, here's my sin, and when we start studying it out, we jump right to the thing God wants us to be. Right? Prideful people jump right to studying humility. Impure people jump right to studying purity. Selfish people jump right to studying selflessness. You're like, Christina, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Like, I'm just supposed to learn the good thing. But you can't change your attitude about your sin unless you know how God feels yep. about it. I have seen more people have success when they're willing to feel beat up by the Bible before they feel lifted up by the Bible. Right? And so when you struggle with pride, it's easy to just go study humility and be like, yeah, humility's awesome. God gives favor to the humble. Like, this is great. I'm going to be like that. But it doesn't last long because you don't actually know how God feels about pride. You don't know that he wants to be far from prideful people, that he distances himself, that he opposes the proud. But when you start to pull out God's attitude about your sin, it gives you the right motivation then when pride comes up again, you're not just thinking, oh, I wish I was humble. You're thinking, oh, God detests the pride. Like, that's where I'm at right now. Changing the attitude of your mind to get a desire to go in the right direction. But a lot of people I see, they just start by studying the good thing, the thing that makes them feel better about who they would be if they repented. But they don't study out who they are in their sin. And we can be made new in the attitude of our minds when we study out how God really views our sin. And then, yes, study out humility. Study out purity. Study out selflessness. Like, make sure you get there. But study out first the thing that God actually, the way he sees your sin, so that you can have the right motivation. You guys with me on that? Yeah. Okay, now we're going to get crazy practical. So we're going to talk about, first one's motivation. Second one is maintenance. Nobody really likes maintenance. Nobody likes the work of maintenance. But it's so important. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says "Live that you're, you're called to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And that's what's amazing about God's grace is that God gives us grace. <coughs> he gives us favor. But we've got to live a life worthy of that. Right? How weird if we, like, think, oh, I have God's favor, he loves me, he thinks I'm awesome, he helps me, and I just do whatever I want. Right? Like, that doesn't help anybody else become a Christian. And actually, you're not going to stay one very long if that's the way that you live either. So we have to decide, I want to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. And at the end of my last lesson, I talked about Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. Right? And this idea that we put on that armor to stand strong. 
in our repentance. But I see so many people who get so discouraged because they try to repent and it works for a little while and then it doesn't work later. And either people think there's no way I'm ever going to change this, so I must be awful, Satan's actually ruling my life, God doesn't love me, or they think I'm like never going to be able to change this, so I'm just going to go that way anyways. Right? And we end up with either discouraged and disheartened Christians who are not going to change the world, or we end up with more sinners. Right? They just give up on being a Christian. But this is something that I've seen that if you're willing to implement these maintenance things with whatever the big issue is in your life, you're going to see God move radically. And these maintenance things, they work on anything. Right? So they work if your struggle is personal and theory. And you're like, I cannot figure out how to get over masturbation and I don't know what to do. This works for that. I've seen girls do it. This works for mental health issues. I personally started using this for my own depression and anxiety. And this has helped change my life. It doesn't take away the struggle, but it maintains my connection with God in my repentance and hope. Not that depression and anxiety is a sin, but what it can become in my life can be very simple. So, I want to walk you guys through this process. When I'm talking about maintenance, right, the word maintain means to keep in an existing state. I think that's part of what gets tricky with our repentance, is that instead of keeping it in an existing state, we let it fall by the wayside. Like that one time I studied out that thing. Or that one time I read that book over there. And it's not present. Not that you like only study out one thing for your whole life, right? That's not what I'm getting to, but I'm going to help you figure out how do I keep these things maintained. So you want to keep it in an existing state. It's, one of the definitions is also to preserve from failure or decline. And it, failure in our pathway to repentance is one of the most discouraging things. It yeah. keeps us from actively repenting because we just feel like, I failed. I didn't make it in the end. It didn't work out. But you preserve yourself from failure and decline if you choose to maintain. It also says to sustain against opposition or danger. Here's what's crazy about repentance. That once you decide to repent, that already freaks Satan out. If you add, like, I'm going to study this out, like read some scriptures or read a book, Satan's really mad. But the hard part is, is you think you've won right there. Because you think you put some attention on it. And Satan thinks, I'm just going to wait till she gets distracted. I'll bring this right back in. She won't really overcome that thing. And then you do get distracted. And then you get discouraged. And then Satan wins. But if you can actually sustain your repentance against opposition, against Satan's opposition, against danger, then you keep God's active grace and power working in your life. So here's what you do. You pick something you need to grow in. Right? So... Probably, it's this thing where you already had to work with the right motivation, right? What is the thing that I need to study at? So you pick something, and then for 30 to 60 days, you do a deep spiritual study about it. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm a huge fan of the Bible app. I think it's awesome. You can use it like social media and add friends and like each other's posts and all this stuff. But I'm not talking about you did a five-day devotional on the Bible app, right? I'm talking about a 30 to 60 day deep Bible study on your sin. So that can be you're reading through a spiritual book. I'll also give you a tip that I learned when I graduated college. If you answer questions 
that are often at the end of the chapter of your spiritual book, you get a thousand times more out of it. Like, keep a journal as you're reading a book. Take notes, answer the questions. I read through so many books, and I'm like, I don't really remember what that was, but it was a great book. Yeah. It's really different when you actually go through and answer all the questions. That's what I did with Secure in Heart. Changed my life, remember? So, do a deep Bible study. You could be going through a keyword study. I'm going to study out every time this word appears. Like, if you're doing pride, study out every time pride appears, then study out every time humility appears. Take notes about what each of those scriptures are. Take notes about the context. Take notes about how God feels about it. You can do a Greek or Hebrew keyword study. I love this. There's tons of resources for this. I don't have time to go into them, but somebody in your ministry knows how to learn about the Greek or Hebrew keywords in the Bible. When I got appointed a women's ministry leader, like, they typically give you, like, a cool Bible. This is a cool Bible, but it's not the one I got. And, like, they typically give you a cool one, like, take to do something. I got a Greek and Hebrew keyword study Bible because they were like, you like this stuff a lot. So we'll just give you a resource for it. So do something deep, right? Um, but here's the thing. You want to make sure you have elements in this study to remember these things by. So when you're hearing a song, you need to take notes on that song because you're like, ooh, that reminds me of the thing I'm learning. I see this quote. It reminds me of the thing I'm learning. I love this picture. It reminds me of the thing I'm learning. Because at the end of your study, 30 to 60 days, and it needs to be long enough because actually I don't have time to go into all the neuroplasticity, how long it takes to change a habit, but you're working with at least 21 days. So study for longer than 21 days. We are actively trying to do this, but 30 to 60 days at the end, I want you to write four maintenance quiet times. And the first part of this idea came from a conversation I had with another minister in Texas, and she was talking about having girls write purity maintenance squat times. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I developed it into this program that I think is very helpful. But in your maintenance squat times, you're like, what in the world is that? It's where you write four quiet times, at least four, but four is good, and summarize all the best stuff from your deep Bible study. So all your favorite scriptures, all your most convicting thoughts, moving questions, prayers that you wrote, Quotes, lyrics, images, those kinds of things. You compile them into four different quiet times. And then here's what's cool. With those four quiet times, for the next four weeks, you do one of those quiet times every week. So you can start studying something else, but you like also have a maintenance quiet time worked in there. And then what's neat is once you do that, four weeks of each of your quiet times, then maybe you go to like every other week, you do one of those quiet times. Then maybe you go once a month. You'll do really well if you choose to write it in your planner and decide, ooh, I'm going like, to write in my planner when I'm going to do my maintenance quiet time. But here's the thing. You need to keep it regularly in your system. I preach about managing your mind all the time. And it's one of the things that's been most helpful in helping me to maintain the idea of managing my mind because I'm always preaching about it. I'm always thinking about it. I'm always talking to people about it. But that's what you do with maintenance quiet times. And when you add up this idea... You do the 30 to 60 day study, that's one to two months. You do weekly maintenance quiet times for a month. So you got another month. Every other week, that's two months. And then once a month continually for however long you want, i.e. for a long time, um, that starts you off with four to five months of intensive focus. And not four to five months where you only study the same thing that you're so awful at. But four to five months of intentional, intensive focus. And then ongoing maintenance after that. And this 
changes people's lives. And I have seen girls overcome some of the hardest things they never thought they'd be able to change because they have maintenance quiet times and they're willing to continue to go back. And sometimes they decide a year or two later, I'm going to do a whole other intensive study and I'm going to write more maintenance quiet times. Or they decide, I really struggle with this other thing. I'm going to study that out and have maintenance quiet times. And like girls do this for taming their tongue, for purity, for pride, for managing your mind stuff. But what's important to know is that you don't just do this quiet time once a month, but you also go through and look at your life. In college, you do semester by semester, right? So you go through and look at your life. This semester, when are the times that I'm going to be most stressed out? That's probably when you're going to have your biggest struggle with your sin. Probably when you need to do your maintenance quiet time. So I have girls that decide, I'm going to do maintenance quiet time every day in this crazy exam week because I'm going to get really sick. Or I'm going to do one the week before, two the week during, one the week after this really stressful time. But if you can think certain seasons that are going to be stressful, over breaks are a fantastic time to do your maintenance quiet time. Because everybody's sin comes back over break, right? So Christmas break, spring break, summer break, Thanksgiving break. After a big challenge or before a big challenge, it's a great time to do maintenance quiet times. But it's the idea when we think of putting on the armor of God, we have to maintain it. You don't just put on armor. I'm not like standing up here with armor from 300 years ago expecting to fight a battle, right? You have to maintain it. You have to keep it well-oiled and shined and strong. And that's what we need to do with our repentance as well. We need to maintain it on a regular basis. And what gets really cool is when you have friends who all start doing these maintenance quiet times, start sharing them with each other, right? And so some of my girls... They're discipling a girl who's struggling with purity. She's just like, here's my four maintenance quiet times. Make your own. Now you have eight. Now you got a lot of variety, right? Girls are like, taming the tongue. These things are, this is what changed my life. And you summarize all these best things. And you may think, she's just telling us because we're college students, we don't know how to do this. One of my best friends who leads campus ministry in Boston, Alexandra Goman, she posted on her Instagram a few months ago a, like, whole picture of her maintenance quiet time and tagged me in it. And she was like, it's all of us need this because we all need to learn how to take captive every thought. We all need to learn how to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We all need to learn not how to be tossed back and forth, but how to be mature in our relationship with Christ. But I promise you, if you're willing to do these practicals, and for sure if you start sharing them with other people, you're going to see incredible growth in your continual repentance. And it's by the grace of God that we have the power to do any of this at all. So, thanks guys. Um, that was so awesome. I started taking notes. Um, okay, let's just pray real quick. I know we're about to eat.